0: you pray with me? Oh Jesus, you are the Lamb of God. You have died for us. You've given your life for us, so keep us near the cross. Keep us hoping and trusting, believing in you. Lord, may faith be the center of our walk with you. Bring the scenes of the cross before us each and every day so that we can say, in the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Would you do that among us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week we did a little bit of a review, and I reminded you all that following Paul's gospel-saturated greeting, and without expressing much thankfulness, Paul just dove right into his reason for writing to the Galatians. That is, he was so shocked that they were turning to a different gospel. Then he described in more detail how he received the gospel, that it wasn't from any man, but it came directly from Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus when he was converted. And so chapter one, in, in chapter 1, Paul proved that his gospel and his apostleship came directly from God and was independent of the other apostles. And then in chapter 2, Paul continued to defend his apostleship by proving that the pillars of the church recognized his authority And that there was unity among the brothers. So, although he was independent, he wasn't a lone ranger going out and doing his own thing. He was accepted, he was respected, he was blessed by them as he went into his ministry among the Gentiles, but they didn't hold too much power over him. So, later in chapter two, then, Paul confronted Peter about his hypocrisy, saying that Peter was out of step with the gospel. He reminded them of all that Jesus had done for them and the danger of adding something else to the gospel, adding something we do to what Jesus has already done. So Paul is continuing that argument here in chapter 3. But look immediately before this passage. In the seven verses prior to chapter 3, Paul introduces the heart of the gospel, justification by faith in Jesus alone, through faith alone, and not by works. Read verse 16 with me. This is crucial. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So we learn that it's only In Christ that we are justified. By faith in Jesus, we are made right with God. And in Christ, we are dead to the law and we're alive by grace because Jesus lives in us. In chapter 2, verse 20, Paul described his life this way. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, right, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, right, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is, Paul is just saying, the cross is so central, what Jesus has done for us. He goes on in verse 21 to say, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. His crucifixion was for nothing. And now in Galatians 3 and 4, Paul is going to unpack this great doctrine of the justification by laying out from Scripture, he's going to essentially provide the Galatians with like a Bible study on justification by faith. And I think that his main point in this passage is, flip this over. you have it on your handout, that all of the Christian life is by faith, through the Spirit, and it's not by what you do. Okay, let me repeat that. All of the Christian life is by faith, through the Spirit, and not by what you do. That is, works of the flesh, the law, legalism. Jesus saves alone, or he doesn't save at all. So I've outlined this passage with two main sections. Section one is a rebuke. We see this in verses one through five. He wants the Galatians to reflect on their own history. How did they come to know Jesus? And he does this in verses 1 through 5, and then he moves on in the second section, verses 6 through 9, a review of redemptive history, and he takes us back to Abraham in Genesis. So he has the personal argument followed by the scriptural argument. So chapter 3 begins, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? J.B. Phillips, in his translation, says it this way. Oh, my dear idiots. You know, (laughs) he's saying to them, in a loving way, he's saying, are you out of your mind? Have you lost your senses? And this is strong language. We might even say strange, right? We might think that Paul was being too harsh with these Galatians. But he's not ridiculing them. He cared so deeply deeply for them that he was trying to shock them back into uh, reality here, back to the truth of being saved by faith alone. So if I imagine if I were standing down at at the Minneapolis Institute for Art, and I was admiring a painting, and someone next to me said, oh, I can't stand that painting. I, I wouldn't turn to that person and say, You fool, you idiot, how dare you insult this artist, right? Because I think we all know that even though we might disagree on art, it's a matter of personal preference, right, and opinion. But if I were standing at the top of the IDS tower and someone was about to jump to her death, many stories below, and said, I can't stand gravity, it's not true, You, you, you know, what would you say? Well, since gravity isn't a matter of personal opinion or preference, you might say, you fool. You know, get down. Don't be an idiot. You're going to die if you jump. And so Paul has this urgency. That's the tone. He loves them. He doesn't want them uh, to be, you know, forever believing this lie. You know, in our culture, people look at God more as the painting, that belief in God is a matter of personal preference, but God is more like gravity. There are some absolute truths about gravity that result in consequences, and there's absolute truth about God. And Paul is warning his beloved Galatians here. So let's review a little bit. How were the Galatians giving up on the true gospel? What was the issue in the churches of Galatia? What were the false teachers promoting can you remember? Circumcision. Circumcision. Anything else that became an issue? Eating. Eating. Yeah, some dietary. Mm-hmm. What to eat, right. So, and there was, there was some confusion over basic gospel truths and kind of centered around, do Gentiles need to really, in a sense, become Jews in order to, to truly be Christians? And so there were, the basic gospel truth was being, you know, there was confusion there. But Paul says adding anything to what Jesus has done for us is a different gospel. It's out of step with the gospel. And they were deserting Jesus is the way he put it back in chapter 1. Last year, the Bethlehem staff was trained on the use of AED devices that you see here at the church. If someone is having a sudden cardiac arrest, often their heart rhythm is out of control. It's kind of wacky. And you might be familiar with the terms ventricular tachycardia or ventricular fibrillation. In these situations, using an AED and giving CPR can save a person's life. And it's scary. It's really scary, especially if you've seen a TV show or a movie where they're doing this in the hospital setting and they yell, clear, and they've got the big paddles and the person's body jumps off the bed. But in today's passage, essentially, this is what Paul is doing. He's yelling, clear. And then these series of questions are like shock after shock because he wants to bring the Galatians back to understanding the true gospel and all that Jesus has done for them. So section one is Paul's rebuke. You saw that Paul mentions the term Galatians or you, Many times, like 10 times here. So, Paul is making his first argument based on their experience, their history. So, he asks question after question, and all of them are rhetorical. The first question is, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Tom Schreiner said, This is an indictment not of their intellectual capacities, but of their moral inclinations. It's as if someone had cast a spell over them. And we could ask, who is the ultimate deceiver? Satan, right. And the ultimate stupidity is giving up on the true gospel, that Jesus died to take away our sin and make us right with God. Everything that they had received is based on what Jesus has done for them, not on what they have done for him. Paul says that the gospel was so clearly proclaimed to them that it was as if Jesus was crucified right in front of their eyes. He says, you saw, you know, Jesus was crucified for you. And in your lesson, you went back to 1 Corinthians, or sec- yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul said, and I, when I came to you brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So remember, Paul, back in chapter 2, had just said, I have been crucified with christ the cross is what kills our old self that relies on the works that we do works of the law stand in a really stark contrast to the cross and the other contrast that we see here in this section is at the center of paul's argument how they received the spirit how they were saved This is a first time that Paul mentions the Spirit in Galatians, but he's going to go on to say much more, especially in chapter 5, where he mentions the fruit of the Spirit, right? Question 2, Paul says, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Is it by doing or is it by believing? Galatians, do you think you've somehow earned your salvation? Paul says, No, you received the Spirit. It was a gift of God. And it wasn't a result of any performance or any works. And we could go back to other places where Paul says the same things. In Romans 5.5, 5, Paul says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. In Romans 8, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then Ephesians 1, Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, doesn't this resonate with what we've been learning about hearing with faith? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So all of the Christian life is by faith, through the Spirit, and it's not by what we do. We need to ask ourselves the same question that Paul asked the Galatians. How did you start? We need to examine our own story, don't we? Do we subconsciously or even consciously think that we have done something to earn our salvation? That certainly we were smart enough to understand the truth, or we had eyes to see the truth. Oh, that we would know the incredible gift of grace, that it is all of grace, that Jesus has raised us from being dead in our transgressions and sin and has made us alive in Him. And so, my prayer is that as we sang this morning, that we would stay near the cross, you know, to realize that Jesus is the Lamb of God who died to take away our sins and that it's in the cross that we find help to walk from day to day, it's that, that's where our glory is. It's in the cross. Paul goes on in questions 3 and 4 to say, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The point that Paul is making is that gospel is not only for the start of our Christian life, it is for all of our Christian life. That all of the Christian life is by faith, through the Spirit, and not by what we do. So don't think of the Christian life as, well, step one, I'm saved by grace through faith alone, as Paul demonstrated in Galatians 2, but then step two is, I really need to just get it out as a Christian trying to be perfected in my own strength. Paul says, this is foolish. This is stupid. This is idiotic to think that this is the way the Christian life is to be lived. And this is a second time that he calls them foolish, right? We can't, we don't contribute anything to our salvation. Our salvation and our sanctification is all of grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't begin by faith and then leave that behind, growing in our works. We don't outgrow our need for the gospel. This would be like taking an apple seed and planting it in the ground and then waiting and watching and, all, and it starts sprouting up. And once it starts sprouting up, we say, oh, great, let me add some artificial branches and let me tack on some plastic apples. Paul, Paul is saying it's, it's all by faith, by grace. Okay, It's a work that the Spirit does in us to change us to be more like Jesus each and every day. Beginning the Christian life by faith, but trying to grow by rituals and regulations, relying on our flesh, doesn't make any sense, and it doesn't produce any real fruit or real change. It leads to a legalistic approach that strives to just check the boxes. As believers, we must keep our focus on Jesus Christ and keep the gospel before us every day. We actually need to confess our tendency to believe the world's philosophy of God helps those who help themselves, right? We need to repent of our self-determination to improve ourselves by the flesh, to increase our favor with God through our own effort, because that's just like hanging plastic fruit on a tree. Not only is it foolish, it dishonors Christ and his perfect provision for us. So being perfected, is a term that Paul uses here in chapter 3, but he goes on later in Galatians to refer to this as walking in the Spirit. Okay, Paul begins his argument here in verse 3, but he's going to continue it in chapters 3 and 4. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 15 that I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And in Romans 15, 8, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has wrought through me. So what does being perfected by the Spirit rather than by the flesh look like? Sanctification by faith through the Spirit, our good works and our obedience are the fruit. They're the evidence of what God is doing in our life. It's evidence of faith. We trust in God, knowing that he has saved us, he has forgiven us, and Peter says that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, right? So when I thought about an application, I thought of something that we have coming up, everybody has to take care of on April 15th. Do you know what April 15th is, right? Okay, well, with April 15th, tax deadline day due, We might be tempted to cheat on our taxes, right? Especially if we're in a financial situation that is a little tenuous. And Pastor John Piper wrote in Future Grace that the root of anxiety is lack of faith in our Heavenly Father. As unbelief gets the upper hand in our hearts, one of the results is anxiety. But when we believe God's promise to provide, to supply all of our needs... And we can truthfully fill in those 1040s without any need to cheat. We're trusting in God's provision for us. So that's an example of how faith has its evidence in okay something that that we are doing in our life. All of the Christian life, salvation and sanctification is by faith, through the spirit, and it's not by what you do. Paul's fifth question is, did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? So Paul brings this up knowing that there's a cost to following Jesus. Paul acknowledges that they may have already been suffering for the sake of the gospel. But he's cautioning them, rejecting the all-sufficient work of Jesus for their salvation would make their suffering worthless. So he's warning them, don't make shipwreck of your faith. Question six says, Does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is a rhetorical question, again, with an obvious answer, and he's repeating the contrast here between works and faith. So God gave the Spirit when? God worked miracles among them when? When they successfully obeyed the Jewish law? No, no. Paul says that would be ridiculous. It was when they believed. Remember, the Galatians are Gentiles, right? And probably didn't even know the law, right? They hadn't been following the law before God saved them. They did not uh, receive salvation by performing any law. Um, Did you see the phrase hearing with faith twice here in this section? The NIV translates this, believing what you heard. This is not a one-time past belief, but it's an ongoing belief. We must consciously and continually trust in Jesus alone. Jesus saves alone, or he doesn't save at all. All of the Christian life is by faith, through the Spirit, not by what we do. Now Paul is going to turn from the personal argument reflecting on the Galatians' own story of faith, and he's turning to a biblical argument that is from Genesis. The justification or being right with God is and always has been by faith, through the Spirit, and not by what we do. I'm hoping that if I repeat this, you're all going to get this in your head, okay? So you can say it with me if you'd like. All of the Christian life is by faith, through the Spirit, and not by what you do, right? Okay, second section. This is a review of redemptive history going back to Abraham. So the Judaizers were pointing toward Jewish laws like circumcision as a requirement to truly be saved, that the Gentiles had to become like uh, Jews in order to be real Christians, and that it was, in a sense, well, it's great to believe in Jesus, but in order to truly be acceptable to God, you need to live as Jews. But Paul in a brilliant and maybe an unexpected move, calls on an expert witness here to prove his case. He goes on in this section to argue from Genesis that Abraham, the father of the Jews, was not justified by trusting in his ability to keep the law because there was no law yet. The law came later. How much later? 400 years plus later, right. So verse 6 and 7 says, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul is quoting Genesis 15, 6 there. In Romans 4, verse 11, Paul talks about how Abraham was also circumcised after he was declared righteous. So neither the law or circumcision played a part in Abraham's being declared righteous. Paul brings up Abraham because he wants us to know that Abraham's life was not perfectly righteous, but God gave him righteousness as credit, okay, through his faith. How was Abraham saved? By faith. Faith in what? Well, he trusted, he believed, he had faith in God's promises, right? And that promise was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. That's how Abraham got righteous, Paul says, so will we. We Gentiles are also justified by faith. And he also goes on to say that faith is what marks the family of God. Faith is credited as righteousness. This is a legal status. God treats us as actually righteous, justified, freed from condemnation, even though we are still actually unrighteous in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds And the reason is we have Jesus' righteousness that covers us. Martin Luther said, Simul justice et peccator. That means simultaneously righteous and sinful. That is what we are right now. We are justified in him. We are considered righteous in his sight. But ongoing, living our life, that's a process that we talked about, this being perfected, right? Being sanctified. Jews and Gentiles are saved and sanctified the very same way, that all of the Christian life is by faith, through the Spirit, and not by what you do. So Paul goes on and says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The family of Abraham also have the faith of Abraham, just as God promised. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying. And so Paul is saying here in verses 8 and 9 that from the beginning, God had a plan to justify the Gentiles, and that plan was by faith. And here we see God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis. We see the promise of grace is linked with the covenant, that there is one way of salvation for all peoples everywhere. Paul goes on to quote Genesis 12.3, the promised gospel, that in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. What was it that brought the blessing to Abraham in the first place? It was his faith. You go back to Genesis 15.6 that Paul actually quoted first. It was his faith that was credited as righteousness. So remember that Abraham was childless, right? His wife was barren, yet God promised children as innumerable as the stars. And this promise did not depend on Abraham or his ability, but on God. So it's those who are of faith, those who believe, that are blessed along with Abraham. So Jewishness or literal descendancy doesn't automatically bring blessing. It's a matter of faith. So it's not about your bloodline. It's about your belief line, right? Faith is God's provision. It's it's not a matter of my performance. Essentially, Paul is redefining here who is Abraham's family and that the blessing extends to all the nations. And aren't we grateful? Is anyone in this class come from Jewish heritage? Great. That's wonderful. Mary Jane and Karen. That's awesome. I would love to hear more about that from you guys later. But salvation, the blessing of being in the family of God, is all of faith. In fact, when Peter preached to his brother Jews in Acts 2, he said this. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Salvation is all by faith. It's not by working for God, but by believing in God and his promise through Christ. It's important to note that faith is not the same thing as righteousness. Faith is not a work that we do. It's not something that we muster up enough of. Justification by faith is about us being in Christ, united to Christ, and gaining his righteousness. It's his righteousness that is credited to us or imputed to us. It doesn't come from a work like circumcision, but only through the cross of Christ. And why is that? Well, in God's design, he didn't want us to boast. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast, right? So faith saves us, not because it's a boastable virtue, but because it unites us to Christ, okay? The only way into Christ is the Spirit's bringing us to faith, and it's the same Spirit who works in us to make us more like Christ. So only faith leads to blessing, and we're going to see in the next section, verse 10 starts with the word for, indicates that Paul is continuing his argument, And those who rely on the law are under a curse. That's right. So what I want you to see here is that our passage today, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, is really kind of uh, uh, the middle of a sandwich. Pastor Jason likes to talk about sandwiches. Right before this passage, you can see in verse 221, if we rely on works of the law, then Jesus died for no purpose. And then in verse 10 of chapter 3, if we rely on works, then we are cursed. You see the connection? If we rely on anything else, if we, if we, if we um, rely on works of the law, then Jesus' death was for nothing and we are cursed. Rely on Jesus or you rely on your works. There's no middle ground. You're saved or cursed. And there's one way of salvation, and that is faith alone. And so may we live our lives constantly in the shadow of the cross, in what Jesus has done for us. Paul began this by saying, don't you remember how you saw Jesus crucified? It's all about the cross, okay? what he has done for you. So all of the Christian life is by faith, through the Spirit, and not by what you do. So let's close in prayer. Jesus, I do pray that you would keep us near the cross that, Lord, that it would be our glory ever, that we would not think that we start by faith and that we continue in our Christian life through works. God, that it is all a work of grace by your Spirit in our lives. So, Lord, would you cause these truths to go down deep into our heart even as we go from here. Lord, I pray that your word would have its work in our life, Lord, that we would be transformed to the power of your Spirit. And that by believing in you every day, remembering the gospel, remembering the cross, we would just be ever more transformed into your likeness, and that we would just learn to love you and cherish you and the work that you have done for us on the cross even more. Um, We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.